Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and join with me as always, Alicia. Alicia, how are you doing tonight? You know, it's not about soccer for me tonight, so I'm very happy with what happened with the NFL drafts. That kind of just set my mood for the rest of the weekend, so I'm in a very good mood. <laughs> so let's talk about that. I was definitely like giving you a hard time uh, before the draft. I know that you um, wanted anybody to be quarterback, but Mac Jones from Alabama. And since I'm a huge Alabama fan, I know that was kind of, you know, wanting to hex you because I thought that that would be very entertaining um, to see Mac Jones go to your team. But you ended up getting a different quarterback. Um, it was Trey Lance, right? Yeah, Trey Lance. So, I mean – I guess on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you getting are about getting him? Did you kind of anticipate it was going to be him, or did you think that Trevor Lawrence was somehow going to be like number three? No, well, there was so much going up leading up to the draft. It was rumors left and right, and every NFL expert and analyst or whatever they guaranteed it was Mac Jones, and I was very upset by those rumors. I just couldn't understand why when there is were when there was Trey Lance and Justin Fields available and I knew Trevor Lawrence was going to go to the Jaguars no matter what if they were the number 1 pick. I also did want Zach Wilson, but you know, Jets kind of confirmed that along the way that they were going to get Zach Wilson and I just wanted either Justin Fields or Trey Lance and it was nerve-wracking when it was our time for the pick and when I said the pick is in I I couldn't stay in my seat I stood up and I was like oh my gosh and I was shaking and they announced it was Trey Lance and I couldn't be happier but I would have liked Justin Fields but I'm just happy it's not Mac Jones man I think I think you're missing out but honestly like thinking about San Francisco's like offense yeah maybe Mac Jones might not have really fit that offense as well. Um, you know, maybe Trey Lance, I haven't really seen him play, but I mean, I was just watching those highlights on him and because he's more of a mobile quarterback that, that could be good. Mac Jones has got some legs on him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess like you, you turned out okay. Um, what else did you like about the draft? Like, were there any other like surprising picks? I know that people were a little, People on the internet definitely were a little shocked that Atlanta Falcons didn't pick up fields. They thought that they should bring home like a local and, you know, since he was like out there in Georgia and, uh, and, and I mean, I, th- I thought it was an interesting turn of events that he didn't, he wasn't that number four pick. Yeah, it, it kind of is interesting, but you know, what kind of shocked me was, you know, 
It was the quarterbacks, the Justin Fields and um, Mac Jones. I I had a feeling that the Patriots were going to take um, Justin Fields. And every time, you know, you would see at the bottom, you know, trade alert, trade alert. You would think that somebody <laughs> traded with the Patriots to get Justin Fields. But then, you know, the Bears came along and that was kind of a surprising pick. And then... Patriots chose Mac Jones, and I'm. It was a very interesting pick, but you know, I mean, I wonder what he can do out there, and you know, hopefully, he does have that great potential. Not to sound like the guy in the room that's going to say why I think Mac Jones is going to do well there, but I guess I'll be that guy. Um, (laughs) Mac Jones played under Nick Saban, and Nick Saban um, was like an understudy of Bill Belichick's, and so. Nick Saban's offense is very similar to Bill Belichick's uh, style of offense, not to mention uh, some of the assistants for the Patriots at some point were also personnel at Alabama. Um, So ultimately, Mac Jones kind of already got to learn under the same system. So the reason why it'll be like a solid pick for Belichick, and and it's crazy that he hasn't ever selected a first round, a quarterback in the first round, as they were saying on the broadcast, um, but the reason why it's solid is because he's basically already been kind of uh, developed under the system. So it won't be hard for him to really adjust uh, between the college platform and pro platform. And that's like, that's like, that's a huge thing right there. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, they're young and they have so much to learn and they have their whole career, their whole careers of heaven right now. So it's really just not something to rush into and, you know, with Trey Lance, you know, yeah, he might sit on the bench for a year. You can't just throw a rookie out there thinking they're going to do it all on the first day. That's just right. not going to happen. So, you know, he kind of just needs to shadow and see exactly, you know, what is expected of the team and what plays. And it's it, that just all comes down to, to it. And, you know, maybe next season we could probably see him as a starting QB with – rumors accumulating that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be gone. So. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's, that's possible too. I mean, the other thing about the Mac Jones pickup though too is like that you have to think about, okay, well, Cam Newton is also like a Patriot, right? So, I mean, that ultimately means that like, you know, maybe Cam Newton and, and Mac Jones going to have a little competition, which is ironic too because like, you know, from a college perspective, um, Mac Jones being an Alabama quarterback and, and Cam Newton being an Auburn quarterback. Like, it's just kind of funny that, like, that Belichick has, like, two, like, rival, you know, quarterbacks, like, of different teams and, and definitely of different, like, four-year eras, so to say, um, on the same roster. Um, you know, if Cam Newton is out of there for Mac Jones, if that, like, should happen, I, I'd wonder where maybe Cam would go. Um you know, and some folks are already arguing like, well, he's damaged good. So like, you know, what's, you know, maybe he won't go anywhere else. But, you know, I mean, I guess you have to kind of wait and see. Um, I guess really in the draft, like I was kind of watching it loosely. I mean, I, I honestly will say that I kind of keep my, my focus on where Alabama players go um, for the most part, just because like I said, I'm a big fan of the team. And, you know, I'm more curious about what teams picked up, which Bama players, if I thought those those were good picks for the players or not. Um, so I guess I'll just give that wrap up um, for uh, 
for our friend Ulysses, who just loves when I talk about Alabama, being that he's a big uh, <laughs> Miami fan. Um, okay, so like, just this is like the Alabama wrap up, real quick. Um, so of course, like Jalen Waddle going to the Dolphins, I think that's solid uh, as far as Tua and Tiger Viola is concerned, just because he has already thrown to Waddle as a as a target before, and um, you know they kind of have come out of the same system. So I think that. Ultimately, it's great that um, the the Dolphins are giving Tua like some familiar targets. Um, Patrick Sertan, uh, the second, you know, cornerback uh, going to the Broncos. I think that's solid. His dad played for in the NFL, and so you know this is huge just from that perspective of you know fulfilling a legacy um, and keeping something in the family that's going on. So I mean, he's really a hard hitting cornerback. So like that'll be. A good pick for the for the Broncos, Devonta Smith. Like that's a solid pickup. Like any team would have wanted Devonta Smith. I mean, he was the receiver that caught the pass when Tua came in in the in the uh, championship match for for Bama. He caught that touchdown and like Bama won. Um, Devonta Smith is like just like no joke. And so for him going to the Eagles, I mean, Eagles fans like definitely got to be stoked. Not to mention <laughs> the other point is you got is you got Jalen Hurts there. You know, so Jalen Hurts is in in Philly now. He's got also a familiar target to throw to in Devonta Smith. So that's like already like a deep connection. Um, of course, we kind of talked a little bit about Mac Jones going to Patriots. I think that's solid. The Raiders getting Alex Leatherwood. I'm obviously happy about that being a Raiders fan, uh, just simply because you know he's obviously you know one of the one of the solid like offensive tackles that Bama had, and um, you know and ultimately like. Going to the Raiders, I mean, I couldn't be happier. You know what I mean? It's just for me, it's like continuing to watch players that I watch, but also, you know, buying that jersey, right? Which is, you know, something that we're gonna get into in regards to New Mexico United here in a moment. Um, but that's really like all the Bama players <laughs> that I'll, I'll comment on that went in the first round. That's a lot of Bama players in a first round, and typically any team that's winning the national championship is pretty much going to have all their roster almost in that first round, first or second round. So, um, so that's what I got. But um, do you have anything else that you wanted to kind of say about the NFL draft or anything else that like kind of stuck out to you or? Uh, no, that was pretty much it. You know, it, it, it was a bit weird, you know, considering last year how the draft was held. But, you know, things are changing, and it looks like they are changing for the better. Yeah, it was definitely cool to see that some of the players were in attendance and some of them had a choice to be at home. You know, I think that that – I think when the players were at home with their families, like, that was kind of a lasting effect. It was something that was definitely a changing of culture for how drafts could go. But it was also cool to see, you know, actual players in attendance and get that that experience. So I think it it was good that it could be – both ways um that was a good just a good kind of sample of it maybe the other guys will feel like they they wanted to be there too but you know i think each each way was good yeah it it definitely was so let's get into like we were just like uh, i was a minute ago i was just talking about like jerseys buying jerseys of of players that you like and you know so recently new mexico united uh dropped their uh third kit the the electric turquoise kit um, I personally, I bought one, um, you know, and I know that you were waiting to get yours. Did you ever get yours or are you still waiting? And you've just seen like a million pictures on something that you don't have yet. 
No, I did finally get mine this past weekend. And what I can say about it is that, and you said it too, when I looked at it in person, and I will agree with you, is that it's not really turquoise. It's more minty. Yeah, it's like an aqua mint color. And I can't tell you how many times I've been looking for things that match it. <laughs> like if you've been paying attention to Facebook, well, I've been like I an umbrella came up one day, and then another day some shorts came up, and uh, you know, and then the other day this gal Jane Lilly, if she listens to this, shout out to Jane, but she sends me a DM, and it's like this this gentleman sitting on a Porsche, and the Porsche's aqua mint color, and like he's holding like a man bag kind of thing, you know, like one of those Gucci like day bags or something like that. And it's mint. And then he's like, also like, he's just decked out in a full outfit. And I thought it was funny because like, I don't think I've ever really gotten any texts from her, any sort of not text, but any sort of Facebook messages. But obviously she was a little embarrassed to like post that in an open forum. So she sent it directly to me, but it was, it was just crazy. Like, um, I'm going to pull it up and show it to you, but, um, what what did you think about I know that for you when we talked like you're really big on like texture pattern um you know talk a little bit more about uh the jersey the things you like uh, if there's anything that you kind of were like mm, not sure about this or you know how you know like where does it fare on your scale of one to ten while I pull up this other picture uh, you know, I am very big like on the textures and the patterns of a jersey because it just makes them unique and it's not just, you know, a regular template. And this is, I'm glad there was pattern and texture to the jersey, but it was just, you know, kind of circulating around the memes on Twitter. It's the same template as other teams, but just a different color. And it's like, come on, you guys can add stuff to it that makes it different. You know, uh, take a look at the uh, the Dartmouth jerseys. They have texture, they have pattern, but they all, they're Puma, but they all look different. And, you know, comparing it to another professional team that has Puma is M Manchester City. Same brand, but they look completely different. And that is something that I've been wanting for a while. You know, you know, maybe it's due to budget that we can't really explore different options, but I feel like we could have done better. And, you know, with the home and away kits, they're just inverse. And I kind of wish they were also a bit different. Yeah, you recently you were talking about how um, you heard that the crane shares um, sponsor was no longer. And then I was listening to the uh, latest episode. I guess it's the first episode of Pod Cursed. Shout out to Jake and Andrew for for throwing that together, the curse. Um, and, you know, obviously Peter was their guest on there. And he pretty much did confirm the fact that Crane Shares um, was no longer a sponsor and that there was apparently a new New Mexico-based sponsor that we're all going to be happy about um, for the Jersey sponsor, um, you know, so like, I guess let's kind of deliberate what that might be. If it's local, I mean, the only place that comes to mind that they've been kind of pushing around on social media is Dion's, but that's really all I can think about. 
That would be really sick if it was Dion's, because um, obviously pizzas bar none, and you know it makes me think, like, well, Dion's is already available at the lab concessions, right? Like, it's already a pizza that you're buying there. There's, I can't even tell you how many Dion's there are in Albuquerque. I feel like there's at least seventeen, but I could be wrong. Um, but it's also like in other states too, right? It's in Colorado, I think. Um, and maybe Texas, it's one of the two, but um, it. W- I think that would be kind of cool. Um, that that kind of maybe levels up there. I mean, in my mind, I was thinking maybe like it was going to be like Presbyterian or Loveless, um, you know, just because of the essential workers here, and uh, and I thought that that might be something that's big. But I'm not really. T- I mean, it's kind of a it'd be kind of a drastic thing. I don't know, you know, to go from crane shares which is like an investing group so to say um to either dion's or like loveless or presbyterian um any other guesses i mean because the way he's made it sound peter was like oh it's a new mexico brand you know for a new sponsor and everyone's gonna be in love with it and i thought okay well that's like to your to your credit dion sounds right there with it and i'm just thinking essential workers like loveless and presbyterian because i don't i don't that just seems like something that they would do but um, I honestly can't think of another one. And, you know, Dion's is just, you know, flashing in my head right now. Like, that's just what's popping out. I can't think of another one. Yeah. Um, because I know that Sandia Casino is an advertising partner already, and they're already mm-hmm. on the, the warm ups. Um, and then. Is the New Mexico Orthopedics still a sponsor? Yeah, for the warm-ups. But, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm having a hard time really thinking about what else is a big, iconic New Mexico brand. Other than things like you said, Dion's, maybe Pinon, but I don't know if Pinon Coffee is big enough for that. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think yeah. that... That I mean, I, I've had the coffee a couple times, but I don't think that that would be on the front of the kit. No. Mm. Y- yeah, it's it's kind of hard, you know, but I can't think of anything else either. I mean, for the sake of the fact that your guess is probably very solid. I mean, I'm going to go side with you that it's probably Dion's. Um, I know the other day we saw the the picture of Dion's with a shield um, on their pizza, and it was in olives. And I made the comment um, through the Seekenstrike account that this is the one time I thought the pineapples were acceptable on pizza because it, it needed to be yellow. So <laughs> may, maybe that's it. And if that's the case, Dion's, um, we love Dion's. And, uh, you know, so you, you can go ahead and, you know, sponsor our nights too. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, maybe you wear your kit and you get like some sort of discount in the store. So um, here's hoping that you're right. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of just popped into my head right now. Um, I know last year they did the cups at Blake's. So maybe Blake's could be a potential, a potential sponsor too. That's a good call. Um you still have your cups. I know I still have mine. I like literally 
was eating cereal out of them the other day. And I thought, you know, that was the coolest thing at the beginning of COVID was to race down to Blake's and like get those cups because I thought they were going to run out after a while. And then at some point they just had so many cups and I was like, okay, like <laughs> I don't think I need more than six. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, but it was, it was really cool at first to get that item, you know? And, and if you look back to it now, it's like, it's like it kind of came and went, you know, and like, mm-hmm. like, man, like, I hope that they do some more stuff with them like that. But, you know, I kind of wish that Blake's had a little bit more fame from that, from that situation. Yeah, I kind of wish that too, because, I mean, they are pretty cool cups. Right. So the other thing on Podcast uh, that they were kind of talking about was that uh, Peter was talking about a fourth, fifth, and sixth kit. Um, and I mean, I know that we've heard that there was going to be some sort of a kit for Meow Wolf Night. I'm guessing there's probably one, one for um, Pride Night. And and maybe there would be one for another night, another theme night. Because there's like there's like five theme nights, I believe. So Yeah. And um, you know, my wish for that is that they make a kit for the last game and it's a home game. I believe against if I'm not wrong, it's San Antonio. Don't gotta I gotta check back on that but it is the other Dia de los Muertos and I'm hoping oh, yes. it's uh it's like a specialty night jersey because you know I'm gonna keep my kind of my expectations low but they could do so many cool things with that I mean that almost sounds like you got some insider information because that actually sounds really sick that they would have um that particular type of jersey it's obviously a very big cultural kind of thing, you know, and, uh, and that seems like that could be a sick design, especially with them using Scully, um, the skull, the skull logo that Amanda Tellis kind of drew for them at the first year. So yeah, that could be interesting, but yeah, it kind of raised my attention when they said fourth, fifth and sixth kit, but you know, all I'm saying is please don't camouflage. Cause, uh, you know, that's just, I, I just, I don't know. I just can't get down with that. Like, <laughs> um, the other thing that was kind of interesting on, on there, just, I mean, just a couple other things to kind of toss out if you, if you want to talk about it, but, um, Peter was talking about, um, that they're supposed to be getting a site survey back soon because, you know, for the stadium and, you know, it sounded like they kind of wanted the stadium downtown, um, based on his, what he was talking about and that we should probably be hearing about that probably the next month. And then the other thing that he kind of talked about briefly was um, the USL launching like a women's league as they've been kind of chatting about it. But he mentioned that he thought it was going to be kind of like a USL two kind of level. So kind of amateur, but that would obviously be below um, like the UWS, which is like a division two to NWSL. So, you know, I guess thoughts, thoughts on a downtown location of a stadium and thoughts on the idea that the USL, um, would launch a amateur league under like, like as like a division three type league versus, you know, a professional division two type league, like the championship. Um, you know, with the stadium, I've always been for it to be downtown. I think it just fits the aspect of the club and, you know, what it kind of represents and being downtown, you know, anybody can go 
and basically most of the fans are here from Albuquerque so it just it just benefits mostly all of us and you know also that the businesses are for it too that's what I love about it that no one is you know, kind of complaining, you know, like with the ARPAs and stuff. And, you know, this is something that is going to be put to use not only for soccer, but keep in mind, it's not a soccer stadium. It's a multi-purpose stadium. It's going to, you know, in the plan, how it said they're going to have display of art, they're going to have restaurants, they're going to have so many cool things that, you know, you can just go to on the daily and check it out. And that is what I love about it, that, it's just, it's multi-purpose, and it's not just for one thing. It At the end, it's going to benefit a lot, a lot of people. And, you know, for the Women's League, I think it would be great, you know. Um, we kind of had the Al- Albuquerque FC, uh, I think, two years ago, I believe. Right. And it did seem to work out, and it was sticking, but, you know, then again, it just kind of disappeared, and if we have a league like that here, we can get the local talent and, you know, just kind of scout out the girls because I know there's so much talent here in Albuquerque and especially those girls who don't play a club, they can look at this as an opportunity to follow, you know, their potential dream. Do you think that the USL is like starting too low if if it if what peter is saying is true that they'd be starting basically like an equivalent to like new mexico united u23 so basically it's like you know should the usl just start with a league that's amateur or should the usl you know bring back a league where they actually pay the women um you know to play like you know like it's like the equivalent of usl championship I mean, like, I guess, are they setting the bar too low is my main question for you. It's really tough because you know that when the girls get drafted, it they have a very, very, very low chance. And, you know, starting too low, I think it would, it would work because they can get – that experience and you know it could also be you know kind of testing it out to see if they like it or not and you know they could kind of just keep uh, moving up but the thing is that they can get stuck and that's something that a lot of people don't want is the getting stuck part and I can see where it kind of being too low is an issue but at the same time if you don't create more opportunities for other players you really aren't going to get anywhere. And I think it's exactly what we need considering looking at the men's. They have, well, obviously the the MLS and then the USL Championship, and it just keeps going down in a ladder. And, you know, the women also need that because you start looking at these other little leagues and the bigger teams will come down and scout. And you can get called up. And it just creates more opportunity instead of just looking at the same teams every year and mostly the same players. So I honestly think it wouldn't be too low and it would work out just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah, because my concern is just like, you know, all the issues out there about ec- being, you know, equity and about, you know, paying the women, you know, like 
good, you know, paying them what they deserve and not just paying them low wages according to what the men get paid. And I mean, of course, in the USL, you know, we don't really know what they make, you know, because their contracts aren't disclosed. I'm guessing the guys probably make in between, you know, $40,000 and, you know, $100,000, like somewhere in that range, you know. And if you think about what some of us do for work, I mean, we're somewhere in like this, you know, 25 to 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 sixty thousand dollar range, you know what I mean? But we're not getting paid to kick a ball around. We're getting paid to deal with other people's like attitudes all day, <laughs> good or bad, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and personality types, and 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 you know ultimately focus on whatever the task at hand is. But you know, you know, my thought is is like, okay, if the USL brings around a women's team, you know, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to start it off as this sort of U twenty three equivalent. So it's like almost like you know, in between while they're in school, it's like, okay, well, that's great if you're wanting to have a team that that you can kind of cultivate between like the local college talent, you know, then you can kind of develop that as like a first level team, so to say, right? Like an entry level sort of thing. And then from there, maybe in the upcoming seasons, you know, maybe the league will create like a higher tier, you know, it's almost as though if that's, if that's the thought process that they're wanting to step into it, but they're wanting to step into it smart and maybe, you know, kind of limit their expenditure and then hopefully grow into something that's progressive um, once they figure out how to do it, you know, and, you know, the only, only, only opposing thought I have to the thought process with the USL doing this, because I know that they went as far as, you know, bringing in women personnel that can kind of like head this up is will the USL do a good job at, facilitating this league as opposed to uh, the women's leagues that are ran primarily by women? Um, yeah, I think it, it would just work out if, you know, there was more uh, women coaches. And, you know, there's kind of been a lot of success stories with that as well. But at the same time, I mean, it's who just – fits the job and who's qualified and who's going to turn um, over a player and, you know, make them the next Megan Rapinoe. It, it, at the end of the day, to me, it's just about who is qualified and who's going to make it work. Right. That's, that's solid. I mean, ultimately it, it, it may be a stepping stone, just like the way, the USL is for young players trying to get to the MLS or uh, Liga Emekis, um, you know, along those lines. So um, good, good point. Um, so guess kind of moving along in this episode, I wanted to get your take uh, recently. Uh, New Mexico United, Troy Lassane, um announced the, the, the captains for this season and the vice captains. And of course, um, Josh Suggs was the main captain, followed by Devin Sandoval and then Kalen Ryden. Um, did you get a chance to watch that video? And what was your reaction to that video, just like off the bat? Like, um, no, it was a good video, and you know, I kind of expected it to be Josh and Dev. It was clearly like no brainer to me. But the third, uh, the second vice captain, Kalen Ryden, that was like, you know, it was kind of a shock, but at the same time, it was a, a very good fit. 
Um, he is the leader of the back line. He's a great player. And you can tell that he's a leader on and off the field. And, you know, other players, they kind of just, I guess, kind of look up to him. And that's what I like about it. I I really liked the captains that Troy and the team picked. Who would be your runner-up to those three? If you could pick like one or two other captains that you think would be deserving of it based on um, their sort of attitude around the team for what you, what you could see or just what their on-field dynamic looks like. Um, mine would be Juan Pablo Guzman. You know, he kind of has been there since year one, but you the way he is on the field and directs other players and, you know, it's not like in a bossy tone or demanding tone and the way he's he just is, is he's very captain-like and he has those leadership skills. And you can even tell in the midfield that he is the leader of that midfield and the other players just kind of like, cooperate with him but at the same time they work very well together and that is what i like about him yeah i was just thinking while you're you're talking i mean juan pablo guzman is definitely a good shout as like a runner-up captain um yeah i was kind of scanning the team just thinking if there was anyone else that i thought could be deserving of it um maybe for me i might toss like Austin Yearwood's name into the mix. And the only reason why I'm tossing it in there, because I think that he's a very calm, concise player. Um, I know that he has like some qualities that ultimately, um, you know, when, when exploited, like to me, it kind of demonstrate like a good leader and whatnot, um, you know? And, and so for me, like I would think that, I would probably put his name in that sort of consideration, um, you know, because there have definitely been times when he's in there on the left wing. And, you know, I'd imagine with if Caitlin Ryden's ever not in the in the matches, um, hard to say that I don't think he'd ever be in there because he typically plays 90. But I would still think that, you know, Austin Yearwood will ultimately kind of rise up in that sort of um, leadership role. I mean, he's going to be called upon at time. So that's who I would go with. Other than that, I mean, no one else really is sticking out to me um, as maybe someone who would be in that. I think if I were in that room during um, them announcing captains, um, I'm typically not expecting to hear my name on there. Not because I don't think I'm a leader, but just because, like, you know, I ultimately, anytime they're calling people to win things or walk up to the front of, of rooms and talk things or they're coming out with these awards or whatnot, you know, I just kind of started thinking like, man, okay, like I'm not the most popular. I'm not the most athletic. Like, you know, like you kind of just don't want to necessarily get called up. And it was kind of funny, but um, the other day I was cleaning, cleaning up my room and like, uh, I never really thought about it, but I guess like, you know, I got an award when I was, when I wrestled in high school. And so like when I wrestled, like I got, this award and it was 1997, 1998. It said I was like the junior varsity most inspirational wrestler. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like I think these awards are so silly because I mean, the only thing I was really doing when I wrestled was like, I was 
like maybe I just was like naming my wrestling moves like these names because like my dad was he nicknamed me the cat. And so I had like I started to think like in a wrestler mentality. So like I had like different moves like the cataclysm and the catacomb and like the you know, like the the cat bomb or whatever it was. And like I had all these moves and uh and I think I just probably was like a, a good spirited kind of person around the team and just kind of positive and whatnot. But it's just funny to get that award, you know, and um, you know, I think like again, like that's that that to me speaks to like I would be a little nerve wracked if I was sitting in a room with like 21 other dudes and the coach was going to announce like who got, who actually got captain and how many of those guys in the room wanted that. Do you think, do you think they all wanted that? Or do you think some guys were like, I'm totally fine if you don't pick me. <laughs> I think some guys were like, I'm fine if you don't pick me. And like, you know, like the, the first years, I think they kind of felt like that. And you know, maybe the ones who thought we're going to get picked were the ones that have been there for three years now. You would kind of expect it to be the veterans, but, you know, it, it's not given, it's earned. Hmm. Yes, you're right on that on that note. Um, so let's get into this preview, right? We got we wanted to get together tonight. We wanted to preview RGV, um, you know, as, as I had mentioned uh, to you. You know, the other day, you know, we did a Mountain Division preview with all the other podcasts. We posted that up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So after listening to this, hopefully you've already heard that. If not, you can go back and listen to it. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, we, we sat down and, and talked to each team and kind of did a little bit of an extensive preview. But tonight we wanted to just focus in on on this match that New Mexico United has on Saturday, their first match. And so, you know, I'm going to kind of kick us off a little bit. Some of the things I was looking at for RGV, just, you know, if you're you're tuning into this team for the first time or whether you're a longtime fan of United for the third season, right? Um, but RGV only scored 16 goals last year. So they weren't really a high-scoring team, you know, and, and mind you, uh, most clubs played 16 matches. RGV obviously only played 12 matches because I think some of the matches were canceled due to COVID. So they only scored 16 goals last year. Um, they only had about uh, six, seven players that really kind of came out with those goals. The most goals that any player really had was three goals. So we weren't really dealing with anyone who kind of ran the table for the team. Um, the other thing to note uh, this year is that the average age of the team is about 26. So uh, definitely still kind of a young team. But if you consider that RGV was an affiliate of the Houston Dynamo before, the RGV was more of like this sort of development um, team, you know, then it kind of makes sense that they kind of fielded a lot of academy players, a lot of, you know, MLS players. They weren't getting primary minutes. Um, the really crazy thing about RGV last year was that they went – um, zero, three, and nine. So did not win at all last year. And this is like a, a, a huge turnaround from the year before where they won at least 11 games. Um, so, you know, last year's roster to this year, um, there wasn't a whole lot to really scream about. Um, and, you know, that kind of takes us into like the departures that, the, that they had last year. Um, DeShane Back Beckford, uh, Juan Carlos Obrajan Jr., uh, Luke Purpa, and Robert Castellanos. And essentially, like, 
those players pretty much comprise like nine of their 16 goals. Um, so they let those players go, but, you know, they did bring in some other players, which Alicia will kind of talk about. Um, but to me, I'm thinking, you know, um, this team is still pretty new as far as what they're trying to do. Um, earlier this year, there was a little news about them um, reorganizing their partnership or relationship with Houston Dynamo and essentially becoming an independent team. So now this means that RGV can uh, qualify to be in things like the Open Cup. And also, you know, now they might have more of a mission to be trying to actually be competitive uh, in the USL Championship uh, because they're more of a standalone team. So, you know, really the departures, if you think about it, um, don't hurt them as much because they're kind of a 2.0 team this year. Um, their head coach, William Cabrera, was the original coach for RGV. Um, he had left, went to Houston Dynamo, and so then Gerson Ekaveri was the coach for the last three years. He obviously didn't have um, a really satisfactory record with RGV, um, only winning like 10 games a season through those three years. So, you know, when Cabrera comes down from Houston Dynamo to RGV, Ekaveri is now an assistant coach, right? Um, to me, bringing forth the technical staff that was already in the house maybe is good for them as far as development is concerned. But obviously, I don't really see Cabrera taking too much from Ekaveri because his, his records just really weren't anything that you need to kind of pick cliff notes off of him. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I saw, I did see that, you know, the the staff was kind of all over the place. And now that they're not affiliated with Houston Dynamo, it's like you said, um, I believe on Facebook, it's RGB 2.0. And, you know, it, it basically is considering these signings. And last season, they kind of were getting in the gist of it and getting better. And this season, you know, it is kind of scary because you don't really expect anything from them. They're kind of in the unknown. And, you know, we'll see what happens on Saturday. But, you know, it could be a fair 50-50 battle. Right, yeah. Definitely the first first match, you know, between these two sides – and, you know, while RGV seems to be a team that, as has been mentioned, 2.0, that they're, they're, they're free, they're free, right? <laughs> no, no longer a slave to uh, the Dynamo. No more Daddy Dynamo jokes, man. Um, but the fact of the matter is that they're a brand new team and you almost have to kind of give them, like you said, a 50-50 chance that they're going to want to come out and kind of make – um, a difference. Uh, one thing to kind of know is it isn't like winning isn't a part of their, their culture. I mean, their first year they were finished second in the Western conference. So, I mean, you know, and that was under William Cabrera. So it's definitely not impossible uh, for him to take a side um, with RGV and actually turn them into a winning component. Um, you know, I don't think that that's personally more favorable than, a team like New Mexico United who returns uh, a majority of their players and has continuity, but you never know. I mean, what, what might happen? Um, so I know you were going to talk about some of the key signings that they have on their roster. Um, just maybe talk about 
you know, who they are, where they, where they came from. I mean, cause obviously everything is still brand new. So really their experience is about what we have right now. Yeah. You know, some of their key signings, um, is, you know, we have the biggest one of them all. It's Eric Pimentel, which is known as El Puma. He did play for America in the Liga MX. He is a defender. And, you know, with age, if you're wondering, he is 30 years old. So, and he does have two goals and, you know, and, and an assist and then a first goal against uh, Monterrey, and that was back with the Liga MX. So you know that he's a capable um, attacking defender. And he is going to be someone we're going to have to watch out for. And I strongly believe that he will be in the starting 11. But, you know, it is considering how this, um, per, this player plays, it's very, very scary. <laughs> and then for the next one, we have um, Rodrigo Lopez, and he is a veteran and a midfielder. He, I'm sorry, <laughs> my thing froze. So he played for Sacramento Republic. Yes, he did play for Sacramento Republic, and he is 32 years old, and he has, he started in 14 games in the 2020 season, and he had a goal and three assists with 26 key passes for the team, and it was just a rate of 62 passes for 90 minutes in the center midfield. Again, another strong contender in the midfield, you know, kind of think of him as a Juan Pablo Guzman, who's going to be right in the center midfield, controlling that midfield and, you know, kind of making plays, but not really being in the attacking mode. What's actually kind of interesting about the Rodrigo Lopez signing is that um, they had just dealt their uh, midfielder, Kembo Cabado, over to um, FC Tulsa, um, you know, as like on, on a loan for like the season. And this is a guy who started like almost all of their matches last year and he had like an 81 passing percent. So they definitely were moving out the young guys for some veteran players. Yeah, they definitely are. And with that, here comes another veteran. Another midfielder is uh, David Cabezas, who actually played for Dynamo in 2017. And he has an 80 roughly an 87 percent pass accuracy and is you know they're signing some players that are gonna be scary but at the same time you have to think about the chemistry with the other players and the departures from the other players from last season who kind of had you know how you were saying about three goals um the one that did kind of hurt them for them to leave was um, Juan Carlos Obregón Jr., which was one of their top scorers from last season. He left to Hartford, Hartford Athletic, and, you know, it just seems that they're looking more offensively than defensively. Yeah, uh, definitely. 
Um, they're trying to put some focus on guys that can score. I mean, if they only scored 16 goals in 12 games, I mean, look at that. It's like not even a goal game, right? It's, I mean, I guess, <laughs> so I'm wrong. It, it definitely is like a goal game, but it's like, it's it's just a little bit over maybe a goal and a, a little fraction of it. And so like, you know, they definitely got to do more, but I mean, if you, if you take something like that and you look at even like New Mexico United, you know, they were averaging a goal a game too, you know? So, I mean, there almost wasn't too much difference between the sides when you consider matches, when you get clean sheeted or when the scoring is very low, you know, and here, and that was a team with, more scoring components talking about the 2020 United team. So it's like, though we finished, you know, higher, right. Like one of the top two in a group. I mean, you you also have to take into consideration that RGB like didn't play four matches due to COVID. So, you know. Yeah. You know, they kind of did mess everything up. And another player that, is going to be key to the team is they signed a keeper, uh, Tyler Derrick. He played for Houston Dynamo as well. And he's 32 years old. I mean, I, he's fairly, fairly brand new. So I couldn't really find anything on him, but from what it seems like, he's also a veteran MLS goalkeeper and the club seems very excited about his signing. Yeah, I mean, definitely a guy who who played Dynamo. I think he was loaned loaned to um, RGV as well uh, during a little stint of his career. And again, remember, like you know, Cabrera was the initial um, RGV coach went up to Dynamo. So therefore, you know, he's obviously very familiar with Tyler Derrick, right? And then now he's back on the roster, so he's definitely got a guy that he trusts between the sticks. Yeah, and that's something we that you need in a goalkeeper is trust. That's right. Um, uh, any other were there any other signings that that you wanted to highlight, uh, or were those the ones that really uh, kind of stick out to you? I mean, again, you know, things are so new for this season. Yeah, things are very new for this season, and those are the ones that kind of stood out to me, but. You know, instead of signings, it just – that comes with departures. And with that departure, we did sign someone from RGB, and I will let you talk about that. Okay, so, I mean, we picked up uh, Isidro Martinez, uh, better known as Cello. And, uh, you know, Cello obviously is a huge departure for RGB just in the fact that he's got great vision on the pitch. I mean, we've seen a little bit of it through preseason, um, the clips that the club has kind of shown us, not to mention if we've been, if you've been there in person, I mean, he's definitely been able to put the ball in, in dangerous places in the box. You know, obviously the thing that United still has to work on is getting heads on those balls. And you know what I mean? And I mean, cause he's putting it there, he's putting it in the spot. And, and the, the benefit to United on getting cello is that um, balls don't have to be won in the back line all the time. Um, he's a defensive player as well, something that Troy highlighted. So essentially, you know, if balls can be won in the midfield, 
we have someone that we know that can obviously put the ball out front in front of our people. And it's not necessarily just um, riding, sending a ball up front, you know, from the back line, you know, by the time the player gets to that, then he's usually covered by the opposition. So uh, it's, you can't go wrong with it. So I think that cello being added to United is huge. You know, I mean, he'll get a homecoming, you know, since he's only pretty much played sports there, he'll get a homecoming, kind of a, an ovation of some sort, perhaps. And, uh, you know, and we hope that he, you know, is able to really um, perform for us. You know, and man, I, I kind of, I'm going to like, I, I'm going to say I call it, but um, when he was signed, I was telling Raphael, I'm like, he looks the like he has the potential and when he gets comfortable he's gonna make some things happen and he was like no that's no like that's not true and I, and then you know the preseason game against FC uh, Tucson I believe where he made that beautiful goal in the top right corner I showed Raphael and he's like, no, that was just a coincidence. And he was trying to take credit for it. But I mean, you know, it's whatever. Right. But, you know, he does have that great potential and you can tell. And the fact that he's also going to be working with Juan Pablo Guzman in the middle is only going to make him stronger. And seeing the formation they've been trying to play in, which I believe is the, the three, five, two formation. That yeah, they're trying out. Yeah. And it seems like it's working very well f- for him and for them. And looking at the RG- uh, RGV's lineup from last season, they played a 4 3 3, and Cello was, I believe, a right wing. And something just doesn't seem like it was clicking with him because he is a center midfielder. And when you put someone out of place, it can be kind of awkward and they don't really do as much because they have to worry about a position they're not really comfortable in. So at the same time, we're really using him to his full advantage. And, you know, he did score again against Phoenix. So, I mean, if if he's already doing stuff in the preseason, I can only imagine what's going to happen on Saturday. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, I didn't really think about Cello being a scoring threat. I just thought about him being a distributor. And, you know, he's definitely put a few balls in the net. Uh, he kind of reminds me of um, Phoenix's um, – what was his his name? Um, not John Picaro. There was another player that when we played Phoenix in the lab, he had put those – Oh, uh, Joey Calistri, I believe his name was. Um, He put those two balls in the net. They looked like crosses. We all thought they were crosses, but they were curlers into the net. And that makes me think about what what, um, Cello can do because, you know, he's going to have that sort of um, draw or technicality with putting the ball in places that, you know, they may not always be crosses. They may just, like, literally go in the net. So, um to me, he's like a wild card, someone I'm kind of looking out for. Um, and while we're talking about him, I guess we've kind of concluded a bit of our RGV pre- preview. One other thing to mention um, to you uh, is like uh, 
Arturo Dispi or Dispi, um, he's serving out his one game suspension from last season. Um, so he won't be available for the match. And the USL definitely is enforcing any uh punishments from from last season so the coach up at um real monarchs who got a three match suspension um won't be available assistant coach won't be available uh for real monarchs these first three matches um as well so that's that's something that definitely um did get right um that does roll all the way out to junior flemings having a two-game suspension this season for those that might be curious about um what went down with that six game suspension is he's serving the remainder of it. And, um, and so now that we've kind of talked about our opponent uh, for uh, Saturday night, let's kind of shift into New Mexico United. Uh, we've, we've all talked about this team so much. I mean, obviously last year they played all their matches on the road. You know, their average age uh, currently is 27 years old. They got 22 players, which, you know, um, We've become very accustomed to Troy wanting to keep uh, kind of a shallow roster. He does that because he says um, he wants to keep it competitive for the match day 18. You know, obviously we know one goalkeeper is not going to play, right, most of the time. Um, so you're looking at 21 players that are all vying for, um, you know, the starting role, the starting position. Um, so, you know, they got five subs as well again this year that's another thing that's kind of come around as well as the concussion sub which is something i think that you know is a, a a needed thing you know but that also means that the other team can also sub that extra player if the team uses the concussion sub um so that's that's a that's a great addition in the rules as well um so kind of getting into this team i want to ask you um who shined for you in the preseason? Um, was there anyone that changed your mind uh, as far as maybe initially how you thought they would work with the team and and what some of the preseason matches outcomes kind of showed you? Um, you know, not really changed my mind. It just really just set my mind that it, is going in the right direction and that was who i mentioned was with cello um you know looking at his highlights for the pre when we signed him you know i was like you know he's gonna be good and i was also telling you chris that when chris Weehan left it was it was when he was on the team he was one of those that you know would take the corner kicks and the and the set pieces, but he was, was also one of those players that we needed in there for the attacking mode and not taking those kicks. But when we signed Cello, I knew that he was going to be the one where he was going to be, in a sense, another Chris Weehan, but without having to be in the middle trying to score. And don't get me wrong, he could be an amazing scorer when being put right in the center with the other attackers but when you have someone as talented as he is to take those set pieces and those corners it's just he just fits in and it's like you know like that missing puzzle piece that we needed right in the middle because if you notice now we're not opening as much in the in the middle anymore as how i explained last season looking at the preseason games 
and we're seeing more compact together but at the same time you're still creating those plays with either Juan Pablo Guzman or with Chelo or you know they even throw in um, Sergio Rivas and it's just it just works in that little triangle right there and if they keep it up teams are going to play to us which is I know what Troy is looking for and I know it is something that we also want we don't want to play two other teams yeah uh, that's a good shout for sure um Along those lines, though, um, who do you feel is a lock in the lineup? Like, I mean, we've seen so many different combinations through the preseason. Um, you know, I think you, we could both agree Austin Yearwood, Kaven Ryden, and, and Sam Hamilton, you know, really have been rounding out the back three much in preseason. To me, like, I kind of expected that particular lineup. But who else do you think might be a lock for the rest of the lineup? And also, the second question I have for you is, um, who do you think is going to be the starting goalkeeper, um, you know, in this first match? Or how do you think that's going to go? Because, you know, I don't, they've both played their minutes and we don't really have a clear idea of who we think is better. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be Philip Beigel. Just, you know, how he, the minutes that he's been in is how he performed. It just seems right to me that Troy does start Phillip, but you never know with him. So in my gut, I believe Philip will start on Saturday. Okay. And then who do you who do you feel is like a lock for the lineup? For the lineup up front, I would well, I'll start with the back line. It'll be easier for me. Um in the center back would be Kaylin Ryden and Justin Schmidt. And then you have as a right back, man, Austin Yearwood and the left back, Suggs. Moving to the midfield. Um, in, I would have Juan Pablo and Cello right in the middle. And then as wings, I would say Harry Schwartz and Amando Moreno. And up top, I would say Devin Sandoval, Sandoval and mm, Brian Brown. Okay, so you're going with more of a four four two type of uh formation with yeah, that yeah i i know the 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 three five two was working out but you know maybe troy might play it safe in the first game but you know who knows and if we do move it through the to the three five two it's um they're gonna throw in right in the center midfield is sergio Cello and Juan Pablo, and on the outsides, it's going to be Harry and Amando. Center back would be Kaylin Ryden with the left back. Either I could see Suggs, and as a right back, I could also see Schmidt, but it's not their position, but it's just something that I could see Troy doing. Right, yeah, and he definitely has made it known that he's not 
um, estranged to, you know, creating um, other roles for players. You know, as we see sometimes when we look on transfer market, you see different positions that they've played in or they last played in or they more primarily play in. So um, certainly not um, uh, anything new. Um, so, you know, again, the first match, obviously against RGV, then the ones to follow El Paso, Austin, Austin bold, um, at the lab and then, um, and then loud in the United, um, I believe that's the, the ordering of the first, first four, um, might check, check that on, check that for me. Um, but, uh, really ultimately like the first, the first four matches, I know three of them, three out of four are road matches. So that's kind of something that is interesting for the team. Oh, um, sorry, no, RGV El Paso, um, Austin bold. And then it's, uh, Colorado Springs. Right. Yeah. On the twenty first, right? Uh yes, I believe so. That's right. And then uh Springs on the twenty first and then Loudon on the uh 29th. And so essentially, like if you think about all those matches, like the one that we're all probably really focused on is El Paso, um, and perhaps Austin Bowl, just because that was the match that the team lost last last season, so it's probably going to be one that's out there for them. Um, but I think they're all qualifying matches. I mean, it's a new year, and everyone's trying to give their best. I just got to imagine that the team's going to have to play on all on all um, all cylinders really through any of those matches. Um, so, really, m my question to you is: uh, What are you expecting to see in this match on Saturday? Um, I expect to see a lot of attacking. I feel like that's what we've just been focusing on in the preseason. And, you know, hopefully it's like that, where even though we get one goal, we still keep going and going and going, and we just don't settle for less. And that's what I hope for. And what do you hope for? Um, You know, I really am going to probably be focusing on um, – the the front the front the forwards as far as you know just what the chance creation looks like um, I'm really concerned about you know do we have some scoring from out outside the box like you know like I, I really want to see what what the attack's going to look like I want to see like is Ilya Illich going to get you know some some quality chances or Brian Brown because you know these are players that we sign that are you know that are that we've known in their career to be like top scorers, right? So to me, it's going to be like, what kind of opportunity are they getting? Um, you know, so I'm going to be anticipating, can United um, get out on the score line either first or just have a solid, you know, can like, we don't really want to have to play from behind, but, you know, can United score and, and how easily can they score? And also just getting their averages up. Um, per game when I look at like the first four to five matches. Um, the other thing I probably would expect from just this RGV match, um, just because kind of to reframe the question is I would kind of want to look at the midfield. Um, according to the point you made, I want to see how well the defense holds up in the midfield and how well we're able to move the ball from the mid to the front. And, you know, again, just to reaffirm what I was saying previously is just what are the, what's the chance creation look like? 
Um, you know, Troy has said that he is fine with, you know, 10 shots a game, you know, and that's fine if they're 10 purposeful shots or 10 shots that are probably where the majority are on, on, on frame. But, you know, we've seen teams that we play against take 24 shots and come out with a lot of goals. So it's just a matter of, you know, how well the shots are or if we're dry. Yeah, it it really does. But, you know, it it's how you said, you know, the 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 accuracy the accuracy percentage um you know you could take uh 10 shots but eight of those are on frame but you then again you could take the 24 shots and only 10 of those are on frame and you know you're have better odds when most of your shots are on frame knowing that you have a chance and making it into the back of the net than just you know scoring i you know out of out of the nowhere and just uh just keep kicking it and kicking it and like playing kickball and it's really no no fun or like fundamental to it to the plays that the coach kind of has in mind and and lastly like the thing i want to ask you is um if you could highlight two players in the match for united um whether it be an attacking player or a defensive player um, which two players are you going to kind of highlight that you're thinking are going to do well in this first match? Kind of a prediction, I guess you could say. Um, in this first match, I want to highlight, um, you know, Justin Schmidt. He's barely coming back after an injury last year. And the way he was playing in preseason, oh, man, he was on fire. So I think if hopefully he does play, if he is in the starting 11, he is going to do amazing. And I hope he does. And my second player that I'll be highlighting is, you know, maybe not one of the newbies, how I kind of been praising another a newbie, but it's going to have to be Amanda Moreno. You know, his drive and how humble he is and how he keeps going and he picks up his head up no matter what the score is or what's going on in the field he uh, he puts that behind him and he acts like it's as if it never happened and it just he keeps going and going and going and there's no stopping him so i feel like he's gonna do very well and you can tell he's hungry to get back on that field okay I'm going to highlight two players, too. I'm going to have to highlight. Um, I'm going to highlight. Ily Illich um, as a player. And, you know, given the fact that, you know, RGV has got a lot of new experience on the pitch, but they are going to obviously have some veteran players. Um you know, that I think should bring up the level of competition just from the stat, the, the, the point of, you know, if you can look at any of these guys on paper, you can say, oh, hey, play for Club, Club America, American. And, and so something like that is like, okay, well, you know, here's a guy who's got this experience, you know, and everyone's going to be going out to give their best. So I'm going to say I think Ilya Illich really gets a, a, a strong look in this match. I think we're all going to be anticipating his first goal anyways. Um and then I also think from a defensive standpoint, um, 
I think that Kalen Ryden is is going to go off in this match, and um, I guess it would be an easy pick to kind of to kind of say Kalen Ryden, but to really think, um, if you go as far as thinking back to the semifinal that United played against El Paso, I mean, Josh Suggs really was a uh, a highly defensive player uh, for United. I mean, several times that he stopped balls that were on the mouth of the goal. So uh, I feel like I know in Kalen Ryden was very instrumental in that match, you know, pu- pulling guys in directions where to be and, you know, and, and throwing his body in places and standing and things. So I just think that he's going to kind of have a, a bang up game, uh, you know, against RGV. I think that we're going to kind of see him really play at a, at a high level. Of skills, so that's those are kind of two players I want to highlight, maybe to focus on a little bit, and um, you know, and then I guess just last final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts, Alicia? Anything that you want to say before we wrap up this episode? You know, we're kind of missing a big one here, and your score prediction. Oh yes, <laughs> that's right. Okay, okay. Well, then we'll. We'll do that. My personal score prediction uh, for this match is uh, United 3-1. Okay. You you know, it's not what I had in mind, but I believe we're kind of thinking, you know, like we're halfway there to meeting each other. And I also believe that we are going to give up a goal, but I'm going to keep it at 2-1. Okay. Okay, so something we're going to do this season, um, all y'all listening can can potentially participate in this, but we're going to uh, keep track of these score predictions all the way through. Um, perhaps we'll figure out a way to uh, to pull you listeners into the competition where you can actually throw down your prediction on a thread on Twitter, and you know we'll come up with some cool swag or something for you to win maybe towards the end of the season so stay tuned um for for more details on that um but uh you know based on when you hear this uh, if you know we may be throwing something on twitter in the next day or so so you might just kind of catch it on the social media otherwise we'll uh pick a point of when to start these predictions and then of course we'll start counting so we'll go from there um alisa where can folks find you on the internet uh you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at exclusive underscore alicia and on facebook under alicia arias you guys can find me under by chris walker on twitter and instagram and on facebook under christopher walker or christopher and walker and uh you know thank you so much for listening to this uh we are Seeking Strike Weekly, episode number 29, uh, with some cool title to come following this recording. Um, stay tuned. We'll hope United does well this weekend, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to We Are Seeking Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm to never miss new content consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast if you're listening on apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode you can find us on facebook instagram twitter and youtube at seek and strike collective
Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.